This reading is from Ezekiel 47, verse 1 to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross, because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salty water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From En Gedi to En Eglaim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. This reading is taken from Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign for ever and ever. The angel said to me, 
These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard, when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much for having me with you today. It's a real joy to be able to join your worship. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be here today. Thank you so much for this book of Revelation. Thank you for the promise that you give us, the promise of uh, your new Jerusalem. Thank you for 
your Holy Spirit now amongst us. Your promise today of the new creation, your down payment. And Lord, we pray that today we will learn more of what you have for us. In your name. Amen. During the lockdown, we at St James Less have been having regular coffee times via Zoom. Doubtless you've been having something similar at St Michael's. Recently, we got to discussing our favourite places. Whole range came up. Warsaw, Paris, Berlin, Blackpool, uh, Dublin, Durham Cathedral, not surprisingly. As people spoke, I thought about my favourite places and realised that they were probably, rather prosaically perhaps, my garden on my day off, when I can be still and quiet and get lost, just walking alone, just being there gardening on my own. And then also just walking alone through the quieter streets of London. I felt the same when we lived in Oxford. I love to walk through the streets and the squares, the quads, particularly at night after it had rained, with all the lights shining through the windows and reflecting on the cobbles and the paving stones. I love the beauty of architecture, the expressions of human creativity. As I have reflected on this rich passage from Revelation 22, it struck me that my love of the garden and of the city is reflected here as God draws together everything in the New Jerusalem, as everything is brought to its conclusion, or perhaps, perhaps it's better put, as C.S. Lewis would have said, as the prologue ends and the book begins. I'm sure that you will have thought last week about the significance of the city, but I just want to give you a refresher. We're talking here about Eden restored. And yet here is a city, not a garden. A city with the tree and the river of life at its centre. A city which is the very antithesis of Babylon. God takes human creativity and redeems it and blesses it. He doesn't destroy it. He doesn't wipe it out. He doesn't dismiss it. He refines it. He makes it holy. Indeed, he makes his dwelling right there at the heart of the city. In Genesis, God walked in the garden, but he didn't dwell there. His throne wasn't at the heart of it. There was still the need for the sun and the moon. Now that isn't the case. The sun and the moon are redundant because God's glory and the light of the Lamb provide all the light that's needed. And now, in an echo of that wonderful prophecy from Ezekiel 47, which we heard read, the river of the water of life flows out, but not now from the temple, as it was in Ezekiel. Remember, there is no temple in the new Jerusalem. There's no need for one, because God himself is present, enthroned at the heart of the city. Indeed, the very cubic measurements of the city 
are reminiscent of the Holy of Holies, that place where God made his dwelling. And this is what the new Jerusalem, this is what's new in the new Jerusalem, in the new creation. It is, uh, it is the old creation filled, filled to overflowing, if you like, totally and completely with God's presence. It's why we can speak now of us having a down payment of the Spirit. As we, as Christians, have the Spirit living in us. We are made a new creation in Christ. We have the Spirit. We anticipate everything about the new Jerusalem. So the water of life flows out but this time from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it flows through the city with the tree of life growing on each side of its banks. And here John's vision develops and grows Ezekiel's. Ezekiel speaks of the tree bearing fruit for each month. John describes the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, every month. And whereas Ezekiel speaks simply of the leaves being for healing, John says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. For the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Do you know there's something quite significant going on here? By speaking about 12 crops, John is linking the tree to the covenant. The covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he moves in what he's saying about the leaves to spreading that out, to developing it, to the inclusion of the nations. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. The dividing wall, to use the imagery uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, the dividing wall has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. This is phenomenal stuff, so important. Here at the very heart of the city, on the banks of the water of life, which flows from the throne of God and the Lamb, is the tree of life, forbidden to Adam and Eve when they were thrown out of the garden. But now, now, not just the covenant people are welcomed back, but the nations are welcomed in, no longer Will there be any curse? The curse has been decisively dealt with by the Lamb and those who enter the city, the servants of God, from every nation, are those who have been washed, washed clean, renewed, redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. How important it is for us, brothers and sisters, now, to note this at this time God calls in his people from every nation there is no differentiation no hierarchy in his kingdom at a time when countries around the world when communities around our country are working out how to respond to serious acts of racism, we as Christians must be totally and utterly clear 
that there is no place, no place in God's kingdom, in our community, for racism of any form. Every people and tribe and nation have a place in the new Jerusalem with no hierarchy. No race comes first. And so that must be the case here in Christ's bride on earth. It has to be. And we must stand for that. We must be clear about it. And look, just look what happens as the nations, as the servants come into the city. It's just spine tingling, totally spine tingling. There is no barrier between them and the throne. No social distancing here, no physical distancing. There's no barrier to stop them getting near to God. Remember back in, if you know it, if you don't, go and have a look at it. Back in Revelation 5 and 6, 4, four and 5, I mean, sorry, 4 and 5. The inner circle of priests and elders. They got between others and God. They were the ones who were close to the throne. They were around the throne, the priests and the elders. Now, all may enter the new Jerusalem and have immediate access to God on earth. All may enter, all have access. This is so important, so important. All have access to God. Nobody comes first. And three things happen. Three things happen. Firstly, they worship him. They worship him. Remember, if you know it, the Westminster Catechism which says this, the chief end of humanity is to love God and enjoy him forever. Our chief end is to love God and enjoy him forever. And that's what this is. That's what worshipping is. Enjoying him, loving him, and it just bubbles out. It bubbles out. Giving him the worth that we know is his. That's what worship is. Expressing his worth. Worshipping giving him glory, enjoying him, enjoying him, expressing our chief end. And then, and this is really mind-blowing. This is really mind-blowing. They, we, will see God's face. Remember that again and again in the Old Testament, think Exodus 33, 20 to 23, Judges 6, 22 to 23. It is said that to see the face of God meant certain death. And yet, this is the deepest human desire. Think of Psalm 17, 15, or of course that wonderful uh, verse from 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, or to use the AV's words, as in a mirror dimly. As in a mirror dimly, you can barely make it out. Then, then we shall see face to face, face to face. 
now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I don't know about you, but I find that deeply moving. Being known fully by God and knowing that at some point I am going to be allowed to know him in the way that he knows me intimately, completely. The God who formed me together in my mother's womb. The God who counts every hair on my head, who numbers every cell in my body. He's going to allow me to know him in the same way. That's what this is saying. We will see him face to face. The face expresses who a person is. To see God's face is to know who God is deeply, personally, intimately. That's what this is saying. This is what God has planned for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There is something deeply personal about the new Jerusalem. And so we worship him because out of knowledge, deep God knowledge will come deep God worship. I don't believe we'll be able to help ourselves. How else would we respond when we see him face to face, but in worship, in falling down before him? We'll worship him. We'll see him face to face. And then thirdly, we will serve God forever and reign with him. God's kingdom and his reign is quite unlike that of the beasts. In the beast kingdom in Babylon, there's subjection of those who come in, of his slaves. But in God's kingdom, there's no subjection of his servants. And note they are called servants. Indeed, they, we, will serve him. Freely given his rightful service. There will be work in the kingdom, in the new Jerusalem. We're made for work. But it's freely given work, freely given service. But we will also reign with him. Those who serve will also reign. It's a two-handed freedom. We will reign with him. It's a fulfillment of the vision of Genesis 1. And I know you've been looking at Genesis as well. Vision of Genesis 1, where humanity are created to be God's image bearers. Reigning with him. This is not a reigning over anyone. Remember, ruling, ruling over each other over fellow human beings, came with the fall. It was a direct result of the fall. No, this is a participation in the rule of God. And God's rule is perfect freedom. Here we see the ultimate reconciliation of God's rule and human freedom. The ultimate reconciliation. God's rule, human freedom, not pulling apart from each other as they have since the fall, but reconciled in unity as they are meant to be. Beautiful mutuality, creation restored.
It's a wonderful vision of what God has planned. And this is not plan B, a consolation because plan A was scuppered by the fall. No, this was always the plan. Always his plan to make his dwelling with humanity for a new heaven and a new earth. So what now? How do we respond to this? Well, there are a variety of things we could do. We could shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's very nice. What a great vision. But it is a vision. It's a dream. And it's so far removed from the real world. The world of pandemics and wars and economic crashes and race marches that it really has nothing to do with and nothing to say to us today. That is one way for us to respond to it. And there are Christians who do that. There are Christians who look at this and say, well, you know, that's pie in the sky. But actually, I'm not going to live with that. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to get on with my life. And that's one thing you could do. Alternatively, we could so immerse ourselves in the imagery of Revelation that we can't become obsessed with the beast and Babylon and interpret everything that happens in terms of the end times. Forgetting that Jesus was explicit, that we would not know the times and the seasons and that he would come as a thief in the night. That's another thing we could do. But I don't think it's what we're meant to do. That is not the message of this chapter of Revelation. The other option is that we respond as John is commanded by the angel in Revelation to respond. We live in expectation of the Lord's coming, allowing the Spirit to birth in us that deep longing for the new Jerusalem. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let everyone who hears say, come. We live preparing the bride, that is the church, for her groom, that is the Lord Jesus. We live each day longing for Jesus' return, praying for it, living for it. My mother has for years had one word written on a piece of card above her kettle. So the first thing she sees when she gets up and makes her morning cup of tea before her quiet time is the word today, question mark. Today, question mark. She starts each day praying for the Lord's coming and anticipating it, living each moment in the light of it. I wonder, how would it change the way we lived if we did that as individuals and as a church? How would it change our business decisions, the way we use our time, our money, our language, the conversations we have with others? How would it change us if we really lived and thought like this? Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life.
the free gift is on offer. The chance is still there to drink of the water of life, to wash and be clean in the blood of the Lamb. But revelation is unequivocal. Those who don't, those who choose to reject this, who choose falsehood and sin of all kinds over the life offered by God will not enter the city. They will be left outside, outside of the life-giving presence of God, beyond reach of the water and the tree of life. And without life, there is only death. So we, who have the down payment of the Spirit, are constantly exhorted throughout the second half of this chapter to cry with the Spirit, Come! Come! And to live lives which take seriously the message of Revelation, the vision of the new Jerusalem, the promise of God's coming and its implications not only for the church, but also for our world and for those around us. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.